lot of the work we're doing is to how do we incentivize fleets? How do we incentivize like Californians in light duty cars to be able to transition to zero emission vehicle, whatever that looks like, whether that's electric or hydrogen fuel cell. How do we look at our shipping operations? I know CARB is going to be looking at some regulations for shipping, which is both state and federal. What is that gonna look like to reduce emissions? And how do we just clean up the air in this area that has really been designated as like the worst air quality in not just the state of California, but the nation? Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today, we're glad to be joined by Lena Gonzalez. Lena, how's it going? It's Thanks going for joining. well. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's so good to see you in person here. Last Likewise. time, you know, we were on Zoom and you had uh, all those uh, technical difficulties with the internet. <laughs> That's right. I know. And we talked about, you know, the digital divide. And here you were experiencing it in your own home in, in Long Beach and right. the problems with broadband and I think since then you fixed it, right? Uh, no. Well, I not in my own home. In uh, fact, I, I'm still having some issues there. But um, yeah, I mean, we did a lot of good work over the last few years on broadband for all. So really proud of that. So broadband for it's happened, right? Like yes. It's funded. It's it's paid for. That's right. It's so being installed as right. we speak. Two different iterations of the bill over two years from about 2020 to 2022. SB4 um, was also companioned with AB14, uh, Assembly Member Cecilia Aguiar Curry. She and I worked together to be able to push forward, you know, just minimum uh, speeds, you know, 100 megabytes uh, download, 30 megabytes, uh, 20 megabytes upload, and provide the best, fast, reliable speed, technology neutral in the state of California, companioned with $6 billion for local government grants, for unserved and underserved communities. So it's a really big, robust plan that we've done and, you know, feel really good about it. Yeah. So how long is it going to take to, to implement and kind of what kind of, I guess now now that you're here, you got to watch it, right, to make sure it actually happens? I do. I'm part of a middle mile advisory committee. We meet every month. And that's a really good thing because we're on top of what the PUC is doing, uh, Department of Technology, Caltrans, all of the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to take some time just because this is a, you know, large infrastructure project. But I think, you know, knowing that the money can go fast, middle mile is very expensive, especially if you use fiber. Mm -hmm. But it's also a great return on investment in terms of the speed, reliability, and just, you know, ensuring that more people have access. So I think it'll it'll take a few years. Um, But nonetheless, I think, you know, we're in a really good spot to potentially even uh, receiving more federal funding. And then continue to keep the the state budget dollars where they are. Um, right now, I think there's $750 million that are sort of on the docket to right. be removed or deferred. And we want to make sure that we're keeping intact it the $6 billion. There. Yep, exactly. Wait, you said like middle mile. What is that? So middle mile, the way I describe it, it's like a super highway of mm. data, a super highway of, of fiber going through multiple communities to be able to provide fast, reliable internet. It could be fiber. It could be um, other types of technology as well. There's other sorts of technology, but fiber we know or um, is like the the I think the most return on investment. It's going to be more expensive on the front end, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it could touch more um, community members. It's faster, and that's really where the um, federal government is going as well as to ensure okay. that we're making these sort of one stop approaches. We don't have to go back, dig in, and you know redo the technology. Right. It's sort of long lasting. And so this is like in ground wiring. Yes. Okay. That's right. It, it's kind of interesting because up Sacramento, we had all these storms 
and yeah. all these trees fell over. Yeah. And we learned that actually a lot of our internet's actually up in the, the, the trees That's right. here. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not in the ground. It's so. not. And so we can do things differently with yeah. this $6 billion and I'm hoping to do that. So, yeah. Yep. So this has got, you know, brand new session. Uh, yeah. What well, you came in like what, in the middle of 2020 or 2021? 2019, 2019 I came was in. It? So it was that long, huh? Yes. So you've four years. Had a two year session. Okay. That's right. But your district's changed a little bit, right? It will in 2024. In so okay. I ran 2019 special election and then 2020 for re election. So I'm in the midst of my first. So how's your district change or will change, I guess, in in two years? What's the little differences? Oh, lots of big differences. Um, Really good ones, too. So all of Long Beach right now, I have Mm. about 80, 90 percent of Long Beach. I will have all of Long Beach, the full city, um, all of Lakewood. Um, I will also ensure um, I'll also get uh, Commerce, the city of Commerce, which is in the northern part of the district. And then uh, the rural Los Angeles area of Catalina, which is exciting. Oh, really? So, Catalina Island. Yes, you know, the island. We never island. actually really think about who represents there. The that voters. How many voters issues. are on Catalina about Island? About four, three to 4,000 residents. Yeah. Um, so we'll take some trips to. How can we volunteer to, to canvas for you? <laughs> I know. Everyone um, loves Catalina. Um, Catalina. That's, that's it's good. so great. You know, we had Senator Newman on and he bought an ice cream truck okay. to uh, yeah. canvas the neighborhoods. Maybe a boat might be I think you know, I'm a campaign need a boat. boat. I think that might be in the works, <laughs> a campaign boat. Um, but yeah, 3,000, 4,000 yeah. residents. And we think of it of, as a tourist destination, but mm-hmm. they're also dealing with broadband issues, um, biodiversity, environment, um, a lot of a lot of issues, Inflation, a lot of good stuff, like, like everyone. About. Right. Yeah. But it's Gas a great community. <laughs> I know. All of it. Um so like your district is pretty unique. You know, we just had like kind of Corey Jackson on the other day and he was talking about how his district is kind of where everything comes from the port and it gets sent to and kind of distributed from. It's kind of yes. this big distribution hub. Kind of your district's pretty cool because you have the, the pier and then you go to like everything that like goes over to like commerce, right? Like everything gets like yes. trucked or trained over and then there's like this huge train depot. Um, yeah. So you basically in your district, everything, you know, is like the transportation hub of the world. You got boats. Trains, planes, automobiles, <laughs> all of it, uh, all the freeways. Yes. Um, and, you know, you've had Christina Garcia on. She talks about how bad the air quality yes. is there because you have all this stuff. Um, and now you're chair of transportation, too. Yes. Uh, so, you know, what what are you what are you working on right now to kind of bring all this together and kind of, I guess, solve a lot of these, I guess, modern transportation problems we're looking at here in the future? Transportation is my favorite issue. I know it's sort of nerdy to say that a lot of people have said, why do you want transportation? I mean, I'm the daughter of a truck driver. Um, My chief of staff was um, in the transportation assembly committee for many years. So we just have this affinity. And of course the district is, it speaks, you know, to transportation, having the port, the 710 freeway, but also having a lot of impact. So a lot of the work we're doing is to, how do we incentivize um, fleets? How do we incentivize light duty um, Californians in light duty cars to be able to transition to a, a zero emission vehicle, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, whether that's electric or hydrogen fuel cell. How do we um, look at our shipping operations? Um, I know CARB is going to be looking at some regulations for shipping, which is both state and federal. What is that going to look like to reduce emissions? And how do we just clean up the air in this area that has really been designated as like the worst air quality in, in not just the state of California, but the nation? So a lot of that work is in the space of environmental justice, incentives to transition, Mm -hmm. workforce, um, and just, you know, uh, making sure that we're still a a, a competitive um, market for our port and maritime industry across the globe, but that we're doing so mindfully. So a lot of that work. 
You know, I guess how is the port doing? Like during COVID, like it was like backlog and you had like, yeah. you know, all these stories about ships off the water, just waiting to bring stuff in. Yeah. Uh, you know, is that still this case? Do we still have like ships waiting a long time to get in or can we kind of resolve that issue? Fortunately, we don't. So there's only, you know, no hundreds. There's not a hundred ships anymore uh, waiting uh, at dock. We don't have that issue anymore, thankfully. Um, we're kind of back to normal. Of course, there's still a lot of complexities and questions around, you know, what another supply chain crisis looks like. How mm. can we be more prepared? I had a bill last year that looked at creating an office of goods movement, an office of freight to be able to have one point of contact in the administration so we can still remain competitive, but also just get through all the issues. So right now, GoBiz is hiring a um, a few people to look at a technology platform where all 11 ports across the state can talk to each other. We have 11. Wow. We have 11 ports. Wow. Yes. Um, and just to be able to figure out what the backlog looks like, both on the shipping, the terminal operations, and then also the trucking as well, which mm-hmm. is an issue. But everything's looking good. But we've lost cargo to um, to New York, New Jersey. We've lost cargo to Atlanta and to Texas. So okay. we've got to get that cargo back. Sometimes it's hard to do that. So we've oh, really got to So yeah, that's what I guess. So like if you kind of require, I guess, more strenuous things, like people just take their cargo elsewhere. There's other options, I guess. Out they there. will. There are other <laughs> options. And they're even, I think Texas was even, um, they created a YouTube saying why you should come to Texas and the port of, you know, Houston and all of this. And I said, oh my gosh, we have to get this right. cargo back. We still have to remain competitive. California ports are where it's at. Um, we have, you know, we're the closest connections to Asia. 60% of our imports are are coming from Asia. And then we've got, you know, our own exports as well. And so right. there's new mechanisms in place, I think, within the administration that I think are really speaking to the efficiency and, again, to just remaining competitive while also ensuring that we're reducing emissions right. at the same time. So well, I guess, yeah, I don't know, maybe you know this or not, but like, you know, some people say, well, that's great. They're taking their stuff elsewhere and then we don't have the pollution and things like that. Like, why, why does it matter if we have the cargo here? Like, you know, I'm sure there's lots of jobs and things like that. That's right. Exactly. You hit it perfectly. One in five jobs in Los Angeles and Long Beach are uh, port related. Wow. So that means uh, the jobs. That means the small businesses that are suppliers. That means um, just additional workforce down the road. You know, for we have a maritime sort of um courses at Long Beach City College for folks wanting to get into that maritime industry once, mm-hmm. you know, others retire. So it's this whole system. But again, I think most people are very supportive locally of the ports and the maritime industry. Again, we, we just want to make sure that they can coexist, you know, the the economics with the environmental justice right. component. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I guess the other day, Monday at the Capitol, they had like all the like the new electric uh, yes. fleets or maybe hydrogen to uh, trucks and stuff. Right. It's pretty cool. They had the, like the Tesla semi and the Nikola semi. Um, are those being used now or are those being implemented? And I guess, you know, how does this transition happen? And I guess, you know, we have the technology now. Um, what can we do to kind of kind of speed that transition up from kind of diesel to these new clean technologies? Well, I'm glad that, you know, a lot of these companies, I, I was at the CalStart event in the morning, and a lot of these companies are transitioning, whether it's electric for drayage, the short-haul trucks, mm-hmm. or hydrogen for long-haul trucks. It's really exciting to see everyone sort of say, yes, we're ready, and we're going to transition, especially these larger companies that we know have hundreds of trucks in and out of our ports and into uh, Assemblymember Jackson's district right. and into these other Central Valley districts that are also seeing the the poor health outcomes. So I think um, what I've done, I have a, a bill uh, that I put forward over the last couple of years to look at the incentives 
We want to extend the clean transportation funding uh, that is due to sunset, I think, next year and extend that to provide more incentives for light duty, but mostly for medium heavy duty, which we know are the largest polluters Mm -hmm. and really get um, incentives in the hands of our fleets and even small uh, owner operator truck drivers that really want to uh, transition, but they just don't have the the dollars to do so. It's expensive. You know, you said your your dad was a truck driver. Yes. What does he think about this? <laughs> That's what everyone asks me. Um, he thinks it's great. Yeah. I think you know he'll he'll give me the honest truth and what he 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 says it's a different day. I mean, he was in a big big rig, big mm-hmm. diesel truck. Um, he wasn't in and out of the port. He was uh, in Redlands and in the Inland Empire, going back and forth to different warehouses, uh, to you know, all over the place. So knowing that even for his health, you know, when he's in this truck inhaling all of this diesel, you know, these diesel particulate matter, I mean, it's not good for the the worker either. So I think it's great to see that transition, but the same thing, how do you do that? How do you transition from a a truck that costs $50,000 in diesel to maybe a truck, an electric or a hydrogen that costs 300,000, three times more. It's going to take a lot of state, you know, market signals, Mm -hmm. providing the incentive dollars, working with private industry to also just help have them help with the transition too. Mm. So he's very supportive. Yeah. He wants to make sure we're cleaning up and ensure that of course worker standards and labor standards are in place. You know, it's interesting. I've talked to a couple of truck drivers and what you don't realize is all the gears they have yeah. and all the wear and tear on the like your your legs. Oh yeah. Doing the clutch all the time. So I imagine uh an automatic transmission in these electric things would be oh, yes. welcome welcome. That's changes. exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've talked about transportation, I guess, ways to, to clean that up. Something that, you know, I guess the state's been working on a really long time that we haven't been able to figure out is, is high-speed rail. You know, we <laughs> yes. funded it. We have this kind of small kind of sample. Kind of what, you know, what are you looking into there? And, you know, how can we actually make this happen? Yeah, high-speed rail. I mean, the, everyone's been questioning it, of course, rightfully so. There's a lot of dollars being spent. Last year, it was $4 billion. But I think in the overall, um, the multi-year is about nine about almost $10 billion it's been spent. And I think, um, you know, what I think as being a Los Angeles member, I think the Los Angeles uh, delegation has questions as to what it will actually look like in Los Angeles. I know the Bay Area caucus has questions. Mm-hmm. Will it actually get to the Bay Area? Right. And the Central Valley, for the most part, is very happy because they see the construction happening. They see the, jo- the jobs there. But we don't want this to be a, a track to nowhere, right? So I am very supportive of the high-speed rail. I want it to continue but we have we still have questions uh, that remain. You know right. what? You know what are we doing for regional transportation planning? There there is going to be dollars for light rail. There are going to be dollars for bus rapid transit and additional transit opportunities across the state that would feed into the high speed rail. We also have an oversight um, hearing due late March in the transportation committee where we get to ask all these questions. You know what are you doing with the dollars right. that were spent, and is it? Is it likely that you know Los Angeles Sacra- uh, and San Francisco will actually see the endpoints, the bookends? And then, what are the other opportunities available for just regional transportation planning? Um, I think those are the the large questions that have been asked. Um, still, a lot of answers remain, but I, I'm still having gone to other areas of the the world, mm-hmm. Japan, and seeing Germany and China, and what is possible, right. and the same hiccups that they've had. It's still likely. It's still it's it's not just a dream. It is something that can happen. I just think, um, you know, we have to be patient, but still ask a lot of questions yeah. and be transparent as possible. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I saw something on, on Twitter. Somebody took a, a, a map of like the rail lines in Europe. Yeah. And they're just everywhere, like 
yes. map is covered in them. And then they did the U.S. and there's like 10 rail lines in the entire nation. It's just like empty. It's just not, nothing we've ever done. That's right. You know, as we, we know it's possible because other countries have done it. Yes. And they seem to do it pretty quickly, right? Pretty reasonably. That's right. Um, yeah. Like what's missing here? Like why can't we do it faster? Well, I think there's, again, um, you know, we have to ask. I, I wasn't in the previous discussions mm-hmm. necessarily. I was just a voter that supported right. this back in 2009. But um, you know, I think what we need to do right now is continue to look forward. Um, we need to continue to partner with other glo- uh, global, you know, partners like in Japan. What what they've done, they've actually created a public-private partnership. A lot of their value capture is providing um, uh, hotels, like they create with the private industry hotels mm-hmm. and shops. And being on high-speed rail or their shinkansen is is what they call it is a destination. It's not just getting you from point A to point B. You're going there to shop. You're going there to eat ramen. You're going there to enjoy time with your friends. And then, you know, if you want to, you can take a, a trip, you mm-hmm. know, from Tokyo to Kyoto. Right. It's awesome. Um, it's a different type of thinking and culture. Uh, but I think we can reinvigorate those discussions yeah. while also providing more dollars to, again, regional transportation planning. And we are um, in the process of hiring an inspector general. So there'll be additional oversight on the high-speed rail um, that I think will be very helpful. So it's not just the legislature, right. um, you know, talking to the high speed rail authority and asking lots of questions, but we'll have this other entity being able to do that. That's too. cool. Um, so kind of, we've covered transportation and everything kind of that you're working there to kind of clean things up, but you know, climate change in general is a focus of yours kind of, yeah. I guess, what else outside of transportation and climate change are you looking at? Oh gosh, everything. We, do we have three hours? <laughs> <laughs> This has been a focus of mine for as long as I've been a public servant since 2014 when I was on the city council. Um, Of course, last year, I worked very closely with many of uh, my colleagues in the Senate Democratic Caucus to be able to create a climate working group. We had about a dozen bills or so. Some of my bills focused on transportation equity, uh, lowering the barriers of entry for folks that want to get into light duty zero emission vehicles, like waiving the sales tax, ensuring that there's a ombudsperson in the state coordinating all the state agencies to be able to provide an equity component mm-hmm. to to this zero emission world that we're in, um, while also ensuring that there are no oil well, there's no oil well drilling um, near where people are living. So SB 1137 is sort of this landmark bill that um, I authored, along with many colleagues and many um, folks in the environmental justice community, basically states, you know, you've got to create a health buffer zone of 3,200 feet from any new oil wells, from, you know, schools and parks and and homes and everywhere mm-hmm. where people are living and working. Um, we're pretty much the only large oil producing state that does not have an oil well setback in a health buffer zone. Even, so even Texas, Texas has one. Even Texas has one, which is never <laughs> good to be behind Texas in that regard. The, the weirdest thing is like not a lot of people know California drills oil or, or pumps oil. Yes. And the weirdest thing is when you go to like to L.A. to like Huntington Beach and you see the derricks like right oh, there yeah. on the beach or like close. So, yeah, it's kind of an issue. So they're, they're actually doing new wells right now in kind of yes. populated areas. Well, yeah, now that the bill has been um, overturned, um, we know we've got, unfortunately, we've got. Was it legally overturned or they're just working on Well, the, the gas and oil industry already received their signatures. Okay. So it's at it's this time, it's on pause for another year and a half or so, two years. So, yes, there'll still be more oil wells. Um, in fact, the city of Signal Hill, I think, is looking at potentially permitting about 26 new oil wells. 
This is a very stark contrast from what I'm hearing on the ground with residents that say, we don't want this anymore. How are we supposed to hit any of our goals, whether mm -hmm. that's 2045 carbon neutrality, um, ensuring that there are no uh, gas-powered tr uh, light-duty vehicles by 2045, 2035, medium-heavy-duty 2045. We have all these goals in place. How does this contribute to those goals? It just takes us backwards. Right. And on top of the, the poor health uh, outcomes, the bad air quality, people have just had enough. Um, so sad to see that it's been overturned, but we'll continue to you know move forward and fight uh, to ensure that we at least are hearing our residents, educating them mm -hmm. on what this looks like and continuing to legislate even more. Yeah. Um, I guess just kind of going back to last session, I remember just like just being in the, the lobbyist gallery, just seeing all like the <laughs> the signs and everything kind of what was that like getting it? Getting, I guess, that through the legislative process, and I guess, how close was it? Did you guys have a pretty good buffer, or was it, uh, uh, you know, a few votes here or there, or you know, how how was that experience? Uh, environmental justice uh, policies are always scary, and I, mm -hmm. I say that with a lot of respect, but they are always scary, and I don't. I'm trying to figure out why these are so uh, scary. I mean, I can I understand the politics of it all, a lot of lobbying happening mm -hmm. from the gas and oil industry, but. At the end of the day, we're here to protect people's health. We're here to protect people first. And so, yes, this barely passed the Senate with 21 votes, which is required to the move on to the yep. minimum requirement. Yep. So 21, we just, you know, squeaked out of there. And then in the assembly, heading over there and being on the floor with my assembly colleagues and many of them helping, you know, assembly member Brian was critical. Mm -hmm. Assembly member Luis Rivas, super critical. So many that were just pushing to get this done. So it was hanging on 40 votes and then um, on the back end, I think ended up getting 43 votes, which is just right there. Obviously 41 right. is required. So really, really tight. We knew that would happen, but this has also been built on many um, other colleagues uh, mm -hmm. work as well that did not even get committee hearings um, and, or didn't even, you know, pass committee. So assembly member Marisucci and Senator Weiner and Senator Limon, um, you know, they worked on this before, didn't pass, and so we we knew this was going to be tough. But it just it, there needs to be a pivot point where we can't function like this right. as a legislature. We've got to figure out how we make these bills work for people. So you you pass this law it was signed by the governor. It was supposed to go into effect January first, yeah. um, but you know they got signatures. They've they've put it on pause. Yeah. So now, as you said, like cities can still act as it was before, right? And they can yeah. approve. That's whatever. right. So you said one city had 26? One city in my, uh, yeah, in my district, Signal Hill, I believe, is moving forward with permitting 26 new oil wells. Wow. So it's it's a lot. I mean, yeah. that city is a very small city. Mm -hmm. um, it's literally within Long Beach. Um, I mean, maybe two square miles. So adding 26 more on top of the health impacts, uh, there's homes that have Yeah, what are the health impacts? The, the pumping and the... Yeah, the it, pumping. I mean, uh, air quality is horrible in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. the Long Beach region, the worst air quality. There's lots of kids in my district who get asthma. Um, in fact, we have to go every year to the port of Long Beach and we have to ask them for dollars um, for air filters inside their the kids' schools. I don't want to have to do that anymore mm -hmm. just so my kid can breathe, you right. know, clean air and my constituents' kids can breathe clean air. It you doesn't make any sense. You think that it would just get you blown think, out. Yeah. Right. But it's just not fair for families. It's not fair for, mm -hmm. for folks living in these areas. 
So I guess, you know, you, you did that last year. So what are you doing this year in response? Like, I, I know you have this bill SB, oh, is it 252? Yes. Fossil Fuel Divestment Act. Can you kind of tell us about that I know, and what just, that entails? We're just going all in. <laughs> so this one also was- um, Save the dinosaurs. Save them all. Yeah. Uh, we're, we are um, working off of uh, SB, 1130, SB 1173 from mm. last year. And so that was also the divestment bill. Unfortunately, passed um, didn't, of course, pass. Fortunately, passed the Senate. Did not get a hearing in the Assembly. Mm-hmm. This time, we're reinvigorated. We've got an even larger um, coalition of teachers, of longshore, of union members, of youth, of environmental justice advocates. The same that want to continue pushing. And so this actually says. We want to ensure that Kelpers and Kelsters divests from fossil fuels, some of the largest fossil fuel companies, in seven years. So we're giving them a seven-year time frame. Um, In those seven years, um, we're asking as well for, by 2025, that that Kelpers and Sters provides an annual report on how they've been doing with divestment as they've been phasing it out over the seven years. This also comes from just the larger um, idea that you know, I just think about it as a legislator. Le- legislator, last year we spent fifty-four billion dollars on climate change, mm-hmm. resiliency for our coasts. You know, drought, uh, vehicles, uh, light-duty vehicles to go zero emission. You name it, wildfire mitigation, right. and yet we're spending nearly eleven billion dollars of our pensions. Uh, hardworking Californians, teachers, firefighters, we're spending their dollars. For the same industry that's doing this right. detriment, it doesn't make sense financially, and you know, philosophically, teachers, firefighters, folks that I've talked to mm-hmm. are tired of it. They've gone to Calpersonsters numerous times, and they they want answers. So I think this is a fair um, a fair bill. Um, other uh, states have done it. New York, um, I know uh, UCs and CSUs have also divested. Large pension portfolios in the UK and across the globe have mm-hmm. divested within two years, so it can yeah, be seven done. Seven years is pretty generous. It's yeah. pretty generous. <laughs> I know I would do it tomorrow if right. I could, but um, I'm not on the board. Uh, I'm just right. trying to provide an avenue for them to guidance do this. For them, Some right? guidance. Yes, right. we definitely need this on the table, so the gas and oil industry um, knows we mean business. That's kind of interesting. Like so, like this year, I guess not this year, but early last, late last year, Gavin Newsom announced a special ses- session on windfall da- gas tax profits or gas profits, right, from oil companies. Um, And then we heard, you know, some rumblings about it, maybe the beginning of the year. We haven't heard anything in like a while. What's the latest on that? Is that still something that's going on, still being talked about? Um, And kind of what's it looking like? Absolutely. So we have a meeting, I think a hearing next week, Um, I think Wednesday. Mm -hmm. I know it's February 22nd. It's the same day as my son's birthday. So that's how I remember. Um, So yes, it's happening next week. the windfall profits penalty, I think, is what it's being framed at as now. And so we're going to have discussions in the Energy and Utilities Committee in the Senate on what the oil and gas industry has done. Why did five refineries shut off all at the same time with no notice? Mm-hmm. Why do we not have answers on the marketing and distribution costs? Why is it that crude oil prices went down, Californians received a pinch at the pump. We saw the major increases up to upwards of almost $8 late last year. So why are all these things happening? Right. Is it political? Is it you just determining and setting the prices, not providing us more information? 
people deserve the right to know. Um, and they need to know how it ties into everything. I mean, these industries have made, I think, last year between the big five, like Exxon, Chevron, BP, and a couple others, over $200 billion. It's a lot of money. Yeah, no, it's kind of like because um, I was talking to you know I, I hear the oil arguments all the time. California is unique, and we have to you know um, do a special fuel for California, and sure. so it's not like apples to oranges. And we have you know you have only special refiners, and we can only do so many refineries. So yeah. of course it's going to cost more here than it does in Nevada or Arizona. Okay, we get that, but then how do you explain the the you know the billions in profits more than right. previous years? Absolutely. Yes, we do know we have the winter blend. We do know that we have additional regulations, but those have been in place for some time. Why is it now that we're getting this spike, you know, when the gas and oil industry determines that we need to see the spike? Those are the questions that remain. Right. We we know as uh, as Californians, many again, many of these regulations have been in place. We just need answers from them. And it's not fair um, while, you know, average Californians are making ends meet or trying to make ends meet with inflation and everything else that the gas and oil industry is making billions of dollars and saying that it's just a modest return. It's not modest when Mm -hmm. you're making that much off the backs of our, of our residents. Yeah. You know, one one thing kind of, you know, we were talking about climate change and things like that earlier. Um, You know, you mentioned was kind of hydrogen and hydrogen sources. And, you know, I kind of dismissed hydrogen at first because, you know, I, I, you know, research it and it talks about how it takes so much energy to create it. And basically it takes more energy to create than it does to than it than it results in. Right. And then someone told me, well, yeah, but if you're looking at it in that way, no, hydrogen doesn't make sense. But basically, you know, we have all these solar and wind Mm -hmm. turbines and we're just, you know, not able to use it. Mm -hmm. And if you take that excess energy and you make hydrogen and then you can store that hydrogen, you can use it at nighttime. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that, you know, that's why hydrogen is the answer, because we have, you know, they're saying like out in the desert, we have all these wind turbines we don't even turn on, mm-hmm. not because it's not windy, but because we just, you know, we have no use for that energy. Um, kind of what's being done in the hydrogen space and how can we kind of make hydrogen more of a of a focus and, and kind of starting to phase out these natural gas plants? Well, it's one of the solutions. It's not the solution, mm-hmm. I would say. But hydrogen is still it's still in its early stages to some degree and in some degrees it's not depending on the the business case i i personally think and i've talked to a lot of folks and i think that we need to start in the very hard to decarbonize areas i have the port mm-hmm. that is a very dif- difficult um uh place to decarbonize but i think it's an, a great opportunity for us to look at hydrogen on um the logistics the terminal operations on, of course, shipping. Um, when I was in Japan, seeing the Kawasaki hydrogen prototype ship, that seems to be really cool. And it's in its first stages, yeah. of course, but we'll see and we can learn from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also in the trucking space, this is where we really need to decarbonize, right? The medium heavy duty space, which is happening now. And, you know, and then there's these questions about the different colors, green, blue, gray, Everyone wants to go to green, but mm-hmm. what does that look like? It does take a lot of energy. It's very intense um, of a process, but it's not from the get-go, right? right. We need to figure out what, what do we do to get to green, to the cleanest hydrogen space as possible. And there's still some critics, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that hydrogen could be just a ploy to continue the fossil fuel usage. But I think if we start in these harder to decarbonize areas like the maritime industry, it will make everything else seem a little easier. We just need to actually see it in practice. So 
That's my hope is that we can. Man, you get to go all over the place and there. see all sorts of cool stuff. I huh? know. I'm lucky. <laughs> Having the port is pretty nice. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, so, you know, one thing I remember, I remember listening to a Malcolm Gladwell podcast and he talked about Los Angeles and how there's no parks in absolutely yeah. any of the city. And it's actually one of the few cities that doesn't have a large uh, public park. Or state yeah. park, but it has tons of golf courses, and that's like really the only green areas in Los Angeles. Kind of, you know, why is kind of you know you're working on some things with state parks and kind of mm-hmm. SB 378. Kind of, what's why is that a focus of yours? And kind of, what are you working on? Well, that's right. I mean, I think just Los Angeles, as you know, I mean, I have some park areas in Southeast Los Angeles where the acreage is very low. I think mm-hmm. it's less than less than one acre for every, you know, thousand residents, which is so dense. I mean, there's so many people that living living in these small cities that they're living near the freeways or living near metal processing plant plants, the port, all of these impacts, but no park space. Right. It's not fair. <laughs> and and definitely not a state park. It's mm-hmm. just a city park, which right. is still important. Um, but for me on my time in the city council coming from local government, um, I know that park space is really important. Beaches need to be clean. You know, my kids love to, rec- you know, go on the, you know, uh, the paddle boards on the beach. We spend a lot of time there like any parent would do, but it needs to be clean. So when I was on the city council, I passed a, a, a bill, a, an agenda item that basically said no styrofoam mm-hmm. citywide. So it was called the foam free LBC bill that we did. And that's coming off of what SB 37 will be, 378 will be, which is no um, styrofoam um, at our state parks, we want to make sure, or in state beaches, we want to make sure that they're clean. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make sure that there's no microplastics. We know what they can do if they're, um, if you know, they're put in the to the ocean. What they can do to the biodiversity, to animals, but also just the litter problem that we have. You know, we've I think the the amount um, that California spent last year on beach cleanup was over four hundred million dollars wow. just on beach cleanup alone. A lot of it had to do with these styrofoam and the microplastics, which are just a detriment. And it's also building off of the work that Senator Allen did with SB 54, which is really great. What's, what kind of styrofoam are people bringing? Are these like styrofoam coolers? Are these like paddle, like styrofoam paddle boards or boogie boards? Yeah. What, what are we talking about here? Everything. Okay. Coolers are a lot, mm-hmm. uh, of, of course. Um, and of course, the, you know, the cups, the, I mean, it just runs a gamut of different things. The paddle boards, I haven't seen a lot of that, but I'm sure that there are. I remember when I was a kid back in the day, we had them. We I had them, right. Anymore. Me too, I'm sure. Uh, of course, it's all you cups. got. It was You don't see the style from cup very much anymore. But, right. But yeah. there are options that are alternative, that biodegrade. We learned this, you know, as I was um, doing the bill and the city council for Home Free LBC, mm-hmm. there's actually a cooperative that provides biodegradable alternatives at a low cost. So right. they... Um, they pull together all of their products. There's a bunch of different businesses that pull together their products and they can lower the cost and make it really cost neutral to what a styrofoam product would be. And also have the health, you know, the health benefits, the environmental benefits of ensuring that it's low cost, but good for the environment. So that's the hope here. Yeah, that's awesome. Something comparable that, yeah, that can biodegrade is, is great. That's right. That was the major bummer when they did the straws. That, yeah. you know, there are straws. They have them now that are like, are like plastic, but yes. biodegradable and not right. plastic. But, exactly. There's, know. there, if there's a will, there's a way. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I believe it. So now, now you, you know, you have all this responsibility, right? You got all these bills you're working on, your transportation committee chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're the vice chair of the Latino caucus too. Where do you find time in the day? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have a great staff. I have a great team. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very lucky. I've got an awesome, supportive family and team. So yeah. that, that makes it work. 
So, and what's what's going on with the Latino Caucus? What are you guys working on? And what are some of your goals for, I guess, this session? Yeah, it's really exciting to be the vice chair, especially serving with the chair, another woman, Latina, mm-hmm. who's also a mom, who's doing incredible work in her district, Assemblymember Cervantes. I'm just really glad to be able to serve with her. Um, this year, we've got 35 um, Latino legislators, wow. Latina legislators, plus three constitutional. Wow. Yes, wow. and plus three constitutional officers. So that makes 38 of us. Um, 21 are Latina, which is awesome. And a lot of new faces in the Latino caucus, Latina caucus, as we call it. And so it's really great to see this new energy, two new members, chair and vice chair. And so we're figuring out our priorities now. Um, and so we'll, I'm sure we'll see you know, what those might be, mm-hmm. but um, we haven't decided yet what the priorities will be, but we're, we're, in, we're in the process. But wow, I'm just what excited. a change. Like, I, I just remember the caucus 10 years ago. It was like all men. And yes. now, yeah, now it is the Latina caucus. Huh? It really is. <laughs> and I think the men, um, our predecessors, really had a focus on ensuring that more women were represented in the Latina caucus mm-hmm. and – also that there were, you know, very diverse backgrounds. Um, so that's, you know, really exciting to see that. And many of us are parents. Um, many of us, you know, have had jobs on the city councils before or come from the private sector. It's a really dynamic uh, caucus. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to what, you know, the new members, uh, what their priorities are and just kind of seeing things that have sort of lingered that we need to get done. Right. So that'll be really fun. No, that's great. Um so it's like bill introduction deadlines coming up. Yeah. Um, what's your what's your package look like? What's the what's its Ooh. size going to be? And kind of you know what's this session going to look like uh, for you outside of these these few ones we just talked about? The million dollar question. I know we've got um, a big labor bill, of course. Um, we've got environmental justice, um, as we mentioned, transportation, um, pretty significant bills that I think, you know, are going to take a lift from all of us, all the stakeholders involved, mm-hmm. not just my office, but my colleagues and stakeholders outside the building. Um, so that's, it's going to be really exciting, but I think every single one of our bills, whether that's paid sick leave or um, the environmental justice issue of, you know, refineries having um, monitoring and, and notification to, to, um, to residents or, transportation equity it all speaks to what Californians I think are asking for now is more accountability when it comes to climate change and better um, laws when it comes to to labor and workforce you know we're the fourth largest economy so right. we got to act like it yeah I guess that's kind of the most interesting thing is we've had this kind of weird issue where we have all these jobs open but nobody wants to work and kind of like you know Corey Jackson was on just on here saying like yeah these young these younger people are like yeah we're not going to work if you're not going to pay us or, or you know That's want right. things a certain way uh, so yeah it's it's really interesting kind of kind of seeing the dynamics here and kind of seeing how the workforce is changing so That's right. I know. I think I I started working when I was 15. It was just like you got what you got and that was yeah, it and like, you were just lucky to have a job. But yeah, now, if you got 10 bucks an hour, you're like, wow, that's yeah. a lot. And I was probably making, I mean, back then, minimum wage is <laughs> yeah. maybe $5 something. Right. But I mean, now people are asking for sick leave policies mm-hmm. that are robust more than the state. They're asking for remote work. They're asking for better pay, of course. Lots of different options that I think, yeah. you know, employers need to be attuned to. Yeah, we just got to $15 an hour and they're like, yes. nah, that's not enough. You know? <laughs> exactly. Not enough to get me out of bed. So. That's right. <laughs> different, different world now. Yeah. 
That's well, right. you got your work cut out for you. You know, yes. good luck against this styrofoam lobby, who, whoever they may be. Uh, oh, I've done and, that before. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, have the best of, uh, you know, President's Day weekend. I hope you have a great session. Thank you. Thank and you so much. Always awesome. a great opportunity. I appreciate right. it. Thanks, Lana.